Sunday, I, I kind of pulled a Marco Rubio. I had to like down my water real quick, you know, <laughs> before I preached my sermon. Um, so uh, we are beginning a new series. Um, we're going to preach through the book of Luke. And uh, I'm excited about it. Go, go back to our graphic. Go back, yeah. So let's leave it there for a minute. Uh, so this is a... Um, the title of our series through the book of Luke, The Story of Salvation. Um, Kevin and I went back and forth and looked for something that we thought was appropriate. And it's Jesus, the master storyteller, uh, telling his parables to the multitude. Um, or at least that's what we think that picture is. <laughs> um, but uh, Luke, and I, we'll get into it here in the sermon, but but Luke is just a, um, of all the Gospels, I, I'm not going to say Luke is the best, but it, Luke is just um, a fantastic Gospel for us to preach through. And um, Luke is often um, referred to together with its sequel, the book of Acts. So scholars and commentaries and theologians will, will write about Luke-Acts, Luke-Acts, because it was really just one work. Um, so... Uh, Matt mentioned a little bit about our website. Next Sunday, we'll have a tut- kind of a tutorial. So uh, what we'll do is we'll have the website up on the screen, and we'll kind of go through some of the web pages. We won't spend a lot of time, but we'll kind of give you a visual um, run-through. And, uh, and as you explore the website, if there's something you see that uh, makes you scratch your head, feel free to say something. Um, we're not perfect. We think we've ironed out typos and there's still some bugs we're trying to get out but uh but but it's a it's a good good product and um if you notice something or even something in the content whether it be uh something about our small groups or even our doctrinal statement that you don't understand please feel free uh to uh to send to send me an email or even approach me um and we can we can figure out what's going on so open your bibles to uh the third Book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke's Gospel. We're going to read Luke 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Father, now we come before you as we embark on this new uh, series in Luke's gospel. Lord, you have given us your word and you have communicated to us uh, not only your mind, but also the story of our salvation, that we might be edified and taught and built up in the most holy of faith. And so we pray now as we begin this new series that you would begin with us with the unction of your spirit and illumination and power, that we would be radically changed 
by the challenge of Jesus, that we would be transformed by the story of salvation. Luke's gospel, the parables, the stories, and, and Lord, we pray that, uh, that we would be conformed through this process to the likeness and image of your son, Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. So today we start um, this series in Luke entitled The Story of Salvation, and um, we've, entitled, uh, we've entitled Luke's gospel uh, this way because um, the gospel of Luke is told in the form of historical narrative. And last week we finished Colossians, and Paul, uh, in the finding closing statements of Colossians, he, uh, he tells the church at Coloss who's with him and, and the different people that have been with him on his journeys. Uh, if you know the story, you know that Paul went on several missionary journeys in the Mediterranean world to spread the gospel and plant churches, and Luke was often there with him. Luke is kind of this silent partner of Paul who travels with him. And um, he's, he's, he's observing He's watching, and Paul refers to him as the beloved physician. And um, Luke's gospel um, and the book of Acts account for 27% of the New Testament. And um, uh, Paul's writings, by contrast, are 23%. So Luke, as a writer, actually contributes more to the New Testament writings than any other single author. So Luke writes 20%, man, I keep doing that, 27%, slow down, Jordan, 27% of the New Testament is written by Luke. And um, it's, really, it's really remarkable because Luke's Greek is the most sophisticated Greek in all of the New Testament. Um, it, it really is uh, an, an amazing style of writing and we don't know a whole lot about Luke, but we know that he was a native Greek speaker by the way he writes. Um, his prose is elevated. Uh, and just for you who don't know, you may think that all of the New Testament uh, uh, is monolithic in, in, in the books, but they're not. They're different styles. And even the Greek, the level and, and quality of Greek is different based on who wrote which book. Um, so Luke, who's a native Greek speaker, he's educated, he's articulate, um, and uh, he just writes this uh, just amazing, these amazing sentences, and our text this morning is really just one sentence. It's broken into four verses, but it's really just one sentence. And what we know about Jesus and the story of salvation, we know in large part because of the painstaking work uh, of Dr. Luke and what he's given us, which is a remarkable and impressive historical, one of the most remarkable, uh, impressive works of antiquity. And so what we're receiving in the book of Luke is sacred history. It's really salvation history. Um, and that's, uh, that's why our series is titled The History of Salvation. So there's three questions, <clears throat> three questions I want us to answer today. And those three questions are this. Um, and our, by the way, our sermon this morning is going to be a little bit more informative, all right? So it's going to be really informative. Um, 
And uh, three questions I want us to ask today of this passage is, uh, is a narrative reliable history? In other words, is it true? The second question is, what exactly are the themes of Luke? What are the themes of Luke? So what is the it we're talking about? And then finally, the third question I want to ask and answer is, does faith exclude certainty? In other words, is faith different than facts? And the reason we ask these questions is because uh, Luke's account and um, the other gospel writers have been brought under great scrutiny in the last 150 years as being an unreliable source for objective history. And we're going to tackle that a little bit this morning. So our first, first question is, is narrative reliable history? In other words, is Luke's story true? Why do the events of Jesus' life and ministry, if they're historical events, need to be put into narrative? In other words, isn't it just enough? Isn't it enough just to report the facts? Right? Just the basic facts. Um, weren't the various testimonies about what happened with Jesus sufficient? Well, I mentioned a minute ago that um, one of the reasons we're talking about this is because in the last 150 or so years, the Gospels have been the object of attack by skeptics who claim that the New Testament record of Jesus can't really be trusted as objective history because the writers of the Gospels had an agenda. Now, why are we talking about this? I'm talking about this because as you go to share your faith... You're going to encounter people who bring this very argument. So I'm trying to, and if you notice, over the last few weeks and months, I've been trying to, you know, to, uh, to energize us about sharing our faith. That's something God has called us to do. It's what our last sermon was about. And as you share your faith, you're going to encounter people who have sophisticated arguments about the reliability of Scripture and their doubts about the reliability of Scripture. And now, if you're like me, I grew up uh, in a tradition where we said, God said it, that settles it, I believe it. And that may be true, but that's no apologetic to approach skeptics with, right? God has called us to have an answer of the hope that lies within us. That's what the Bible says. So this is why we're talking about this. So there's this idea that Luke and the New Testament writers they can't really be trusted because they have this agenda. That Luke's narrative is somehow slanted or biased. And what we want to say to all of that is this. All historiography, that is the telling of objective historical events, are biased. All history, all the telling of historical events are biased in some way, because it requires interpretation and selection of details to include or exclude. All history is interpreted. There is only one being in the universe who does not have to interpret historical events because he sees them perfectly clear and perfectly true, and that's God himself. But the rest of us, we have to interpret history, and we have to choose and select what we're going to talk about when we talk about history. And what this means is there are no bare facts, but it doesn't mean uh, that, this is, that Luke's account is unreliable, and it doesn't mean it's untrue. 
When you watch the History Channel and you learn about some great figure from history, an executive producer or an editor has chosen the most important parts about the story to tell to put together the episode. When you watch the Military Channel, right, and all of the, all of the, the footage about World War II, they're not just gathering loose facts. They are arranging the historical events in such a way as to do what? As to tell a story. So it's important that we know that when we, when we look and we... we and I'm, I'm laying this groundwork as we move into the book of Luke. And we're not going to visit this again. But it's important that we understand the structure of the book of Luke as we spend some time uh, over the next few months. And, and, uh, and maybe that'll, that'll go into uh, a year or so to, to go through this book. But I'm going to illustrate this point just a little bit more before we move on. A news reporter uh, on the nightly news says, two cars collided, which caused damage, and some people were injured. Now, that's the way the news was reported. You wouldn't watch the news, right? Now, that may be a perfectly accurate representation of an event that happened, right? Two cars collided, there was some damage, some people got hurt. Next story. Right? It wouldn't be very interesting, and it doesn't tell you much about the event. But if the, tri- the, the, uh, <clears throat> the news reporter says, um, Hi, this is Trisha Nagasaki, on location in front of the Walgreens on Main and Spring Street. The scene behind me is what's left of a horrible accident. Miranda Thompson, mother of three, was coming home late last night from the grocery store when a drunk driver identified as Robert Gundry, a local attorney, was driving down Main Street after leaving a bar when he ran a red light hitting Miss Thompson's car head on. She is currently in critical condition but but stable at St. Joseph's Hospital. Mr. Gundry has been arrested and being held without bail. That's reporting. That's historical event put into narrative. That's a news story. The reason that the first account isn't history is because events are incomplete in themselves and they must be understood in a wider interpretive framework. In other words, someone must compile a narrative based on the facts. Someone must compile a narrative based on the facts. Eyewitnesses, people talking, people sharing uh, who, weren't, who didn't see it with their eyes but came up on the scene shortly after, you know, who were close enough by that they heard the collision and ran up a minute later and talked to some, the, the people who were injured in the accident. You know, there's all of these factors that come into play. This is what Luke's gospel is. It is a historical narrative, a careful record and compiling of the facts to tell a story. And so for Luke, this narrative is proclamation. Luke's intention is to persuade. It's not just to tell a story. He has an agenda. So when people tell you, well, the writers of the gospel had an agenda, we can say they sure did. 
and everyone who tells any story about history has an agenda, whether they realize it or not. So yes, the writers of the gospel had an agenda. Yes, Luke had an agenda. And when he wrote his gospel, his narrative account, after carefully compiling all of the records, his agenda was to persuade. And the medium of that account was narrative. And Luke was not simply just trying to answer the question that we so often approach information with as modern, post-enlightenment, you know, rationalists. We approach information, is it true? Can it be proven? Luke is getting at that, but that's really not his agenda. He assumes the truthfulness of what he's saying. He has carefully recorded the events, but what Luke is trying to do is not just say, is this true? What he's trying to do is tell us What does this mean? Luke is telling us and explaining to us in his gospel what these events mean. He's not just giving us a record, but he's actually unpacking it for us. And that's what I want us to wrestle with this morning and going forward into the book of Luke. I want us to think about what does this all mean for us? Because you can have the knowledge of the events of history In fact, there are a lot of people who know all kinds of things about the Bible, and they're not any better for it, right? There's an entire entire field of biblical scholarship at a lot of the liberal universities in our nation where people make a living off writing books about the Bible, and they're atheists because it it hasn't penetrated their heart. It's all head knowledge. But what we want to do is we want to grapple with, what does this mean for me? What does this mean? And not not that it's a completely personal, subjective account, but what do these truth claims, how do they impact me? So the second question we're going to answer is, what are the themes of Luke? What is the it we're talking about? What place is Luke specifically apart from the other Gospels? I said earlier that in these four verses we have some of the most sophisticated Greek In fact, this opening sentence uh, in the Greek, it may be one of the most complex and sophisticated sentences in all of antiquity, even outside of the Bible. Um, It was very hard to interpret when I was looking at the original language. Um, And he's not using words just anyway, but he's constructed them in a particular way. It's really a masterpiece of a record. But this isn't the only reason that Luke's gospel is unique from the other gospels. Luke contains all of these extras. There's all these special things in Luke that we don't get necessarily from. And I'm not trying to push your opinion down on the other gospels. But in in terms of its uniqueness, like why does it exist, right? We have other gospels telling the story. Luke tells things in a very unique way. Um, The first two chapters explore Jesus' nativity, the infant narrative. And Luke is careful to demonstrate how the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. So as we move through the book of Luke in the coming weeks and months, what you should be thinking at the forefront of your mind is this is the fulfillment of prophecy. He wants us to know that God's plan for the ages, that God's plan of redemption to glorify himself in the salvation of sinners from eternity past and the creation of the world with the fall of Adam and all of these different things, the history and the nation of Israel and its ups and its downs, that all of this is finding its summation 
and its fulfillment and its destiny in the life and person and work of Jesus Christ. All of that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. It is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Secondly, Luke's view of Jesus' humanity um, shows Jesus' compassion for the outcasts of society. Now, this is where our series is going to get really exciting because we're going to talk about some things that have some really sharp uh, relevance to our culture today. You know, the Bible is a relevant book, and it's a timeless book. And what we're going to find in the Gospel of Luke is um, real practical um, instructions for us about how we live our daily lives and how we think about our neighbor, how we think about the stranger, how we think about our enemy, and how we think about outcasts of society. Four particular groups that come up to the surface in the book of Luke were the Samaritans and the Gentiles. We're going to see that over and over again, where the Samaritans and the Gentiles are lifted up and praised in a way that would offend first century Jews because they were the heathen, right? They were unbelievers. The second group is tax collectors and sinners. The third group that Luke, foc- Luke, Luke uh, focuses Jesus' ministry on is our women. And then the fourth group is the poor. Samaritans and Gentiles, tax collectors and sinners, women and the poor. And it's in Luke's gospel that we get this term that every one of us in this building completely takes for granted, and that's the phrase Savior and the word salvation. It's found eight times in Luke and nine times in his sequel, the book of Acts, and it's not found anywhere else in the Gospels. This idea that Jesus is Savior is is a result of Luke's writing. And in Luke... um, 19 and 10, it really provides a one-verse summary for the entire gospel. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So there's all these extras in the book of Luke. And we can thank him for the story of Zacchaeus, the penitent thief, the marvelous revelations on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, The famous parables. I would preach this book alone just for the parables. As a matter of fact, what what got me thinking about preaching the book of Luke is I wanted to preach the parables. And I was talking with one of the elders, and we were talking about the gospels, and we were talking about the parables, and we talked about just preaching one of the gospels. And we, we kind of talked it out and decided that Luke would be a really good book for us to preach through. Luke, and if the Lord leads us that way, we'll go into Acts also. But the parables alone um, are just, they just graphically illustrate Jesus as the master storyteller, which is that picture of our graphic. You know, Jesus is telling the story to the multitudes. He gives us stories like the Pharisee and the publican, the rich man and Lazarus, and the prodigal son. These all come from Luke. Luke has given us an incalculable gift, a beautifully structured well-reasoned account filled with history and theology. And this, this next theme may be my favorite of all. This is a parallel key theme. The flip side of the coin of the theme of Jesus as Savior 
And that's the demise of the devil. That's what Luke's gospel gives us. A key theme in the book of Luke is the demise of the devil. Jesus' healings and his exorcisms and miracles are meant to clearly demonstrate that God is in charge of this world, not Satan. His sovereign plan to fill the earth with his glory will not be thwarted. And so, in the first verse, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, what Luke does is he cites precedence. He says, this is the way a story is put together, and I've relied on others who have um, told the story by writing things down, and I've also investigated the uh, oral traditions. So the things that other people have written down, which could possibly mean some of the other gospels, and other writings that were existed at the time, and the oral tradition. In fact, in the ancient world, it was just the opposite than our culture today. In our culture today, you know, we commit things to writing and we trust everything that's written down. And if somebody gives you a story, you know, you may not trust it, but if it's written down, you're more likely to. In the ancient world, it was, it was actually just the opposite. Stories were carefully told uh, in an oral tradition. And people pass down information orally. Now, a few weeks ago, I addressed this and said, you know, the modern skeptic says, well, you ever played the game of telephone? By the time it gets to the fifth person, the story is completely muddled. Well, that's not true if you're talking about something really, really important. If I say Mary dropped a can of green beans in the Walmart parking lot, by the time it gets to the fifth person, it may be Mary dropped a bottle of, you know, or a, a can of corn in the Target parking lot. But if someone says, my mother who had two weeks to live was miraculously healed of cancer, by the time it gets to the fifth person, it does not become, Sue, you know, Susie went to McDonald's and got an order of fries because of how important the information is being communicated. Sorry, Susie, it's just a name that came out. <laughs> we have a Susie here for those of you. Um, so Luke has good authority for the things that he writes. And he says he himself was not an eyewitness, but um, he consulted others who were. And what he's saying is this. This is what Luke is saying. I've reviewed all of the written material and oral testimony, and what I'm giving you is solid historiography. What I'm giving you, you can trust. I have consulted all of the resources. I've listened to all the eyewitness uh, accounts and testimonies, and I have carefully gathered all of the information, and what I'm giving you is trustworthy. And then he gives his qualifications. He's done thorough research, and in verse 3 it says... So it seemed good to me, also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. In other words, I've given you an excellent, trustworthy record of the events, and what you're receiving is accurate. 
So as you move forward, I want you to have confidence as we move through this series that what you are hearing about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ is accurate. An orderly account. It's not a chronological account. He's not just simply telling events one after another, but it is an orderly account. And it's a grouping together of the facts that they might assault your heart and mind to have maximum impact. That's what he's saying. I have gathered and assembled this information so carefully so that it might have the maximum impact on you who read it and hear it. And then finally, he states his purpose. He says that you, Theophilus, may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Um, The word, the Greek word taught here is where we get the word catechesis. In fact, the Greek word is actually catechesis. So that's where we get the word catechism from. And what he's acknowledging is that Theophilus, this person he's writing to, has heard something about the gospel. He's been taught something about the life of Jesus, but he lacks something else, right? Remember Apollos had been, you know, had, had known the ways of the Lord, but needed to be showed more perfectly the way of the Lord? Well, this is kind of what Luke is doing. Luke is giving Theophilus, who has been taught things about Jesus, uh, a comprehensive record and, uh, uh, of, of the life and ministry of Jesus and the gospel of Christ. And what's interesting is, in English, the word certainty is in the middle of the sentence, but in the Greek, it's, at the, it's the final word of, this, of this, whole, this whole long sentence, verses 1 through 4. Just so you know, uh, the verses are not part of the original, right? The apostles, they didn't write in verses. Someone came later on and put, you know, verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3. And they're not always in the right places, but that doesn't matter here. It, this is one long sentence, and the word certainty is the goal. The entire sentence, everything that Luke is saying in these four verses, culminate in this word, certainty. So in the Greek, it's the last word of these four verses. And, and that is the purpose. His purpose is that there may be, there might be, there should be certitude about the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the things that uh, empiricists, you know, people who want, you know, scientific proof for everything, like to do is say that there are facts and then there are values. Just raise your hand if you've heard this before, if you've ever heard that before, right? So what they're saying is there are the things that we know that we can prove and then there are other things people believe that they can't prove and those are in a category different from facts, different from empirical scientific data, those are just values. What you believe about God, your religion, things you can't prove, the supernatural. And what they've done, and this, is, this has actually been active in, our, in, the, in Western culture for at least a few centuries now since the Enlightenment, is this. They've divided what is considered fact, right? Things that can be proven. And that is for public consumption, that's to, that's, that information is for public discourse, but your values are separated and you keep that private because you can't prove it anyway and it's got no place in the public arena of conversation and the marketplace of ideas. 
That's essentially the culture we live in. In fact, it's kind of the air we breathe so much that when we think about talking about our faith, we kind of second-guess the things we say because we think, oh, this might not be an appropriate place. We all do that. In fact, we're so, we're so informed by that mentality that we end up keeping our faith pretty private when it was never meant to be. Luke is eradicating, eviscerating those distinctions. The idea that there are these two, you know, these two different uh, ways of thinking about the things you think and believe. Um, Theophilus was apparently someone who had heard the reports about Jesus. He had been taught in bits and pieces, and Luke's purpose is to give him absolute certitude. Luke's purpose in writing is that we might be certain in what we believe. We should reject the idea that as Christians and people of faith, we we have to admit that we could be wrong. You know, sometimes it seems like it's, it's showing humility to, when you get in a conversation with someone, and I've had, actually had this conversation before with skeptics who will say, I just want you to admit that you could be wrong. And I thought it was kind of like a, a good, humble thing to do to say, yeah, sure, I could be wrong. But Luke is counseling us actually otherwise. That this account, the story of your salvation... The gospel of Jesus Christ, who he was, the things that he did, the miracles he performed, his mission in the world is absolutely rock-solid certain. You may doubt it, but that doesn't mean it's to be doubted. It is absolutely certain. It happened. It cannot be wrong. It's verified by the testimony of not only Luke, but even the other gospel writers, and history bears out the facts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is true. That's what Luke's point is. It's true. We can have certainty. Not in some empirical sense, you know, where we put two chemicals in a Petri dish and we look at it under a microscope, that kind of certainty. That's a different kind of certainty. And only small, only a a small amount of data in the universe actually works that way, right? All facts are not mathematical facts. All facts are not physical facts, right? You put one two-by-four next to another two-by-four, and now you have two two two-by-fours. All information doesn't work mathematically. It doesn't work that way. And that's helpful for us to know that there is a certainty that we can have when we read as we move into the book of Luke, Jesus' life and ministry and fulfillment of God's plan for the ages is the most certain fact of history you will ever know. If you're here today and you are a believer, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, this is the single most certain thing you will ever know. The Spirit bears testimony of it. History bears testimony of it. Eyewitnesses bear testimony of it. And your life bears testimony of it. Let that knowledge strengthen you and strengthen your witness and your testimony of Jesus to your neighbors and your friends and your family and coworkers and strangers. Let's pray.
Father, Lord,